Well, greetings to all you I haven't seen yet this morning. It's uh, nice to be back, and my name's Dean Hellickson. And they asked me to preach this morning. I yeah. I don't know about you, but it feels like a long time for me. But uh, I'm very thankful to all of you for praying and uh, seeking the Lord for us on a vacation. We had a wonderful time. The Lord blessed us. It was refreshing. It was, uh, it was good to just have time to not have to constantly be thinking about the, the, the sermon coming up next week and just be able to reflect, to meditate, to read, to seek the Lord and, and, and just enjoy, enjoy some rest. So thank you. This morning we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 18. So if you have your Bibles, you'd like to turn there. Matthew 21, starting at verse 18. Before we begin, as we need to do, let's go to the Lord and ask for His blessing and help to endure this heat. Father, we are so thankful that You are our God and we are Your people. We're so grateful to you that we can come to you, our God, the sovereign one over all things, you who govern heaven and earth and all that is in them, you who control and determine the molecule's nature. We come to you as weak, as lowly, as your servants who are in Christ in need of of your strength, in need of your wisdom, in need of your guidance and direction, in need of you to open up our eyes and ears, in need of you to convict us, in need of you to strengthen us. Father, we need you this morning to teach us how to pray, to teach us what it means to pray in faith. Oh, Father, strengthen our faith. May we hold fast to you and to your promises. And be bold in our prayers, for we ask this in Christ. Amen. Well, this morning, before we uh, get going into the passage, I just want to kind of remind us all of real quickly where we've been in talking about this whole subject in prayer. We looked a couple months ago, we started with the, the whole idea of why we should pray. Why should we pray? And in that particular section, we looked at who, the very nature of God, who God is who we are and who we are in Christ and what Christ has done. And then after that, we looked at what we should pray. And we walked through the content of the Lord's Prayer, realizing that there, that's what Jesus told you. When you pray, this is how you should pray. And gave us the content of our prayer and the priorities of our prayer. And now we're going to, this next month, what I'm going to do is we're going to cover why, uh, sorry, how we should pray. How it is that we should pray, not just what we should pray or why we should pray, but how we should pray. And this morning in particular, we're going to talk about praying in faith. What does that mean? What does it mean to pray in faith? And as I stated earlier, this is a, this is a great passage that's very bold in its promise. Wonderful in its promise to us what God will do in and through us if we ask of him boldly. 
So let us read, read this together and we'll, we'll take a look at it. In Matthew 21, starting at verse 18. In the morning as he was returning to the city, referring to Jesus, he became hungry. What Jesus is doing here is he's just, he's, he's already been ministering the day before. He went to the temple and was ministering in the temple. And I, I believe where he went to here, it doesn't say specifically, but I believe he went back to the Mount of Olives where he'd often go with his disciples. And here it's where he's at in the morning. So he's returning from the Mount of Olives to the city. And he became hungry, it says. And seeing a fig tree, verse 19, by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And what happened? And the fig tree withered at once. The fig tree immediately withered. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. What Jesus is doing here is performing a visual before his disciples. He's going to teach a lesson. He knows his disciples are watching. He knows he's, they're right there with him. And so what he says out loud when he sees this fig tree, it's not producing any fruit. Uh, fruit. He says to it, be cursed. Don't produce any fruit on you again. And they see this, and they, they probably wonder at first, what's he, what's he doing? And all of a sudden, this tree just withers and dies. Now, at this point, do you think they should be shocked? They probably shouldn't be too shocked, because this is kind of what Jesus has been doing all along. He's been doing things that kind of go right in your face, and they're, they're kind of contrary to reality. They're the exact opposite of the way the, way the world works. And then Jesus does something astounding. He turns to them, and he tells them even something greater than that. Truly, I say to you, that if you have faith and you do not doubt, you could say to this mountain, again, which mountain? He's probably referring to the Mount of Olives. You could say to this mountain, be uprooted and be thrown into the sea, and it would do it. No, no, you've got to be kidding. No, he says, yeah, you could say that, and it, it, it would do that. And then he goes on to say that whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Wow. That's bold. That's big. He's just actually just challenged them, pushed them to a degree that they would not be comfortable with. I mean, okay, I just finished freaking out over what you did to this tree, and now you're telling me I can tell, call mountains and put a, cast them into the sea? Now, here's where I think the qualifications are necessary. Because we got to, uh, uh, hey, wait a second. Do we just go up to mountains and start throwing them around? I've never seen anyone ever do that ever, and we're, tell- we're told that we should or we can. Well, I, th- I really do think that Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here. And, and he's, making, he's exaggerating himself to make a point. He's trying to make a point to them, just as he did in Matthew 5 when he said to them, hey, if your eye causes you to sin, what should you do? Pluck it out. Whoa! If your hand caused you to sin, what should you do? Cut it off. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's extreme, isn't it? 
That's incredibly extreme. What are you talking about? You know, I don't go around, you didn't see the disciples, or you don't see anybody walking around with eyes missing, hands, feet cut off. You know, you don't see that happening. Well, they all understand that what he, the point he's trying to make is not that you should actually do this, but that you should be vigilant with sin. It is serious stuff. You have got to deal with sin. If you allow sin to linger, if you allow sin in relationships, you know what it's going to do? It will destroy you. You'd be better off plucking out your eyes and cutting off your hands than to allow sin to remain. That's the point he's getting at. And here, he's trying to, to, to stretch the example to the point of almost what we would think of absurdity. He's going to this place where, you know what, if you did have this faith, you could do this. And he's not saying it because he wants them to go around throwing mountains. He's saying this to make the point that you do not even understand how much your father wants to do for you and will do for you if you would go to him in faith and ask. And then we see God's people do some pretty amazing things because they do go to the Father and ask. Now, one of the things we definitely don't come away from this passage with, we don't read this and we say, wow, you know, that's great. Now, what Dean is saying is that we can go talk talk to trees and we can talk to mountains and they'll just obey us. Well, here's the other interesting thing. Well, I think Jesus, part of it is true. If you had the faith to do that, you probably could, but I guarantee you nobody does. Nobody has the chutzpah. We might test God in this, but we wouldn't have the confident faith to do it. Not even a chance. But here's the deal that I don't think we... We don't want to miss this. Faith is such a delight to God. And get this. He can't help but answer. Faith is such a delight to him that he runs to answer it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Did you hear that? Did you hear what he just said? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Meaning that God couldn't be delighted in the slightest if we don't put our confidence and trust in him. He's not pleased by anything that we might do. He's not pleased by anything we might say. He's not pleased by anything except faith, trusting him. In fact, Jesus states in the Gospels that he wouldn't even work miracles in a certain area because of the people's lack of faith. In Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, And he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Did you hear that? He's saying, you know, other than healing a few sick people, he didn't do any miracles there. And why was the reason? Because there there was so much unbelief. They didn't believe. He's not, does this mean that Jesus couldn't? No, he could easily. He could have went there and healed people and done all kinds of miracles. But you will find that faith is essential. Jesus isn't limited to our faith, but God, God, the way God works, he says, no, I am not delighted in the slightest. I don't like unbelief at all. I can't stand it, so I'll never reward it kind of thing. Faith is the essential element to Jesus performing his miracles on people. 
And without it, he would refuse to do it. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. And suddenly, this is, a, this is a story of him healing that woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. She came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I will be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Now listen to this. Your faith has made you well. Really? Your faith has made you well. Now we know that it wasn't actually her faith that made her well. It was Jesus who made her well. So why does Jesus put it this way? Because faith is is the essential instrument through which and by which God does his work. He says that that it's so emphatically tied together that he says, unless you have faith, it's not going to happen. But he says, it's your faith that made you well. No, it's I I healed you. It's just that without that, it's not going to happen. Another case is in Matthew 9, 27 through 30, where two blind men follow Jesus, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind man came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, and they were opened. He says, And according to your faith, let it be done to you. In other words, we will see. According to your faith, let it be done to you. If you truly believe, it will be done to you. And if you don't have faith, you won't be healed. We can see similar expressions to this in Mark 2, 1 through 5, Mark 10, 46 through 52. And there we find that same expression, Jesus saying, it's your faith that made you, that healed you. Or, according to your faith, you were healed. And this is a common expression of Jesus. God can't help but answer a prayer in faith. And why? Because it's his delight to do so. He loves those who would actually trust him. Think for a moment of why pagan, adulterous Abraham could be counted righteous. Sometimes we like to think of Abraham and his finished, completed work. We don't understand where he came from. Abraham is a nowhere man from a nowhere land going nowhere, right? From the land of Ur, he's a pagan. He serves foreign gods, and God one day calls him out, and he speaks to him and and takes him away from his family, from his friends, from his community, from everything he, he, he loves. And God says, hey, come out from there. And he gives him a promise, and I'll make you a great nation. And come to this land that I'll show you. That's pretty vague. Great promise. Not a whole lot there. But Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And later, when God's promise seemed beyond impossible, God seemed to get crazier and crazier with Abraham. And as it went along, you're thinking, wow, this one, um, this ought to be interesting. And if you don't know the end of the story, we can read it because we know it, but you can imagine the son of promise comes near the end of his life. I mean, these people are so old, they're, they're, they're decaying. And Abraham's believing God that he's going to give him a child. God delights in that. And then God asks him to 
kill that child. Well, Abraham has to believe, and we know from Hebrews 11 that he does, that God is the God of the impossible. So it doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. This is actually contrary to all reason, contrary to all patterns of creation, contrary to where the whole world is set up. Abraham knows that all things are possible with God, and he believes him. He actually believes him. And this is why faith is such a delight to God that he can't help but answer. As 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, one of my most favorite passages, The eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he might see, show himself powerful on behalf of those who trust him. God is looking. Who would trust me? Who would trust me in the face of impossibility? I love that person. And I'll change the world with that person. Because that's my delight. So here's a question. If faith is such a wonderful delight to God that he can't help but answer, what is, what is faith? I think it's important that we ask the question, what does it mean to pray in faith? What is the nature of this faith? Well, Scripture reveals to us that praying in faith is a restful confidence in God. In the passage before us in Matthew 21, Jesus seems to indicate is that faith is this confidence in God that believes the impossible is possible with God. Because, you know, he tells them here, he says, if you have faith, if you believe and you don't doubt, you can do things that are absolutely nonsensical, impossible. But you have to believe and you have to have confidence in this God, that this is the God you serve. The problem we have with this kind of faith is that we function in a world of norms. And that's because God set the world up. And he wants it to work this way. And so what happens is we get used to everything working a certain way. We get used to things uh, working in a certain fashion, a certain order. For example, because we know that every time we, we touch fire, it burns, what do we conclude? Fire burns every time. It's pretty consistent and faithful. So here's the question. Why does fire burn? Is it just intrinsic? There's just, there's just no other possibility? Is fire burn because the world is ordered in such a way that it's impossible? There's no way it's impossible for it not to burn. Well, if we live in a world like that and we, we're, we somehow submit ourselves to the laws and the rules of God and, and what he's ordained in this world, what we become are people who cannot live by faith. We can't. Because faith is having a confidence in a God in the midst. And when you face the impossible, do you know that flames only burn because God told them to? You know that flames could be a joy and a blessing? Flames can feel good if God wants them to. It's not a big deal for him. It really isn't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced this very thing. They walked into the furnace. The furnace was so hot, the guy who takes them there melts and dies. Well, that's what fire normally does. But here these guys are hanging out with somebody else in there. 
And I'm sure even in the midst of it, they said, they probably thought, wow, this is cool. This is great. And I, you know, not even bothering me. In fact, this feels pretty good. That's the God we serve. And until we're convinced that that's the God we serve, we will never trust him when we face the impossible. And that's really, if you go through the stories of scripture, isn't it really one impossibility after another? Really? It's like God constantly brings his people into impossible scenarios and then watches. This will be great. Are they going to trust me and believe that I truly am the God who made the world this way? Or are they not? And when they trust him, he parts seas. He causes food to come from heaven, water to come out of rocks. And the stories go on and on. That's, what, that's the God we serve. Recently, I watched a movie called Faith Like Potatoes. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or seen it. It's, it's kind of a B-quality movie, but man, it's a wonderful story. It's a story about this guy um, who lived in Zambia, and his name was Angus. And uh, because of conflict and the difficulties and struggles in Zambia, he went down to South America. South America. South Africa, moved down to South Africa. And he was converted when he went down there. When he went down, he wasn't, and while he was there, he was converted. And he just had, God granted him incredible faith. And this is, he did many things, but one of the greatest things near the end of this movie was that there was such a severe drought in the land that there was a famine. There was, their crops were done, it was over, and it was severe, and if God didn't bring rain soon, they were in trouble. So he said, we need to call a prayer meeting with all the farmers. Gathered all the farmers together and, and to pray, because he said, God, let's seek God. We pray to God, he's the one, he's the Lord of the rain, and he can bring it. And then he does something bold at this prayer meeting. He says, I am going to go home, and I'm going to plant potatoes. And he goes home and he, he cultivates this huge field, a lot of sweat and labor. And he takes the money to get all the starters and they go through and he plants this huge field of potatoes. And what's amazing about it is that potatoes, will, they, can't, they need moist ground. They'll die. They'll just shrivel up and that, that'll be it. They're, it's over. And when he did this, I thought, wow, okay. And he did this publicly and everybody knows that he's trusting God to answer the prayer. And I expected, okay, here it comes. I thought, here it comes in the movie. The clouds on the horizon start building and, you know, the big storm clumps. And he can say, here you go. God showed up. But it didn't happen. No clouds. The drought continues and continues. No rain, no rain. Now you're kind of wondering, I think this guy made a mistake. Probably shouldn't have done that, you know. And it creates a little bit of tension in the movie. And then all of a sudden... It's harvest time. And what does Angus do? He says, let's go pick potatoes. And he goes down there with his, the guy who works for him, and they dig up the ground, and guess what he finds? The biggest, juiciest potatoes you could ever imagine. And I, I was like, wow, that's the God we serve. And he spun one on me. He spun it on us all. We thought he was going to bring rain it would do, uh, through the natural way. Well, this, this ground was so dusty, so dirty, so dry, it just basically fell apart. 
and up comes these potatoes. God doesn't need rain. I forgot. (laughs) He just needs to speak to the ground. He doesn't even need seeds. But Angus walked by faith, prayed to God, and believed. Now, you know, this, this sometimes causes us to struggle because we wonder, we think, wow, I don't have faith like that. Because I think sometimes we also don't understand the other side of faith. Jesus says here in this particular text that if you have faith, if you look at verse 21, and do not doubt. That's key. Do not doubt. He goes on to say, you can have whatever you ask. Now, we often think a guy like Angus and what he just did and what he pulled off, and they go, whoa, that's huge faith. I don't have it. Um, it's either kind of like, well, whether you have it or you don't have it, but faith isn't like that. Faith is actually a matter of degrees. Faith is a matter of um, inches. It's, it can be little and it can be big. It's not like a light switch where it's either on or off. You either have it or you don't. It's more like a dial, and I've used this analogy before. It, it's in degrees. Jesus often talked to his disciples, and what did he say to them? Oh, you of little faith. He didn't say, oh, you of no faith. You of little faith. And then whenever we see, here's the thing. Doubting is important to understand. Do you know that doubting isn't, isn't like wrestling with believing? Doubting isn't when we you know, feel like, say, we move forward trusting God, but we still have fear. We think, oh, no, I, I have fear, so that fear now is doubting. It's not. Doubting, doubting is actually not believing. Not believing that God is and God is capable. And here's the, here's the thing. I say this because in Scripture you find that Jesus often talks. He talks about those who, who, have, who do not believe, and, and he'll talk about... Um, he talk about them as having no faith at all. And then he talks about those who have great faith. No greater faith have I seen in Israel than this man. Because this man had great faith. He didn't even need me to come to his house. So he has great faith. He has little faith. So degrees of faith. But those who are doubting, they don't actually make any step forward whatsoever. Now here, think of this for example. If you doubted, if there was a boat heading out to the middle of the ocean and you doubted that it would actually stay on top of the water, would you get in the boat and head out? Not unless you wanted to die, right? You would say, no, I'm not getting on. But if you believed even just a little bit that it, would, it, it probably or should most likely float, but you still have a lot of fear and anxiety, but you get on there, you have little faith. The guy who storms on just absolutely confident, no doubt whatsoever, in the slightest, that guy has strong faith in this particular object, the boat. And this is what it's like. We can look at, look at life. It's not a matter of whether or not the person actually has you know, faith or not, but it's degrees of faith. And sometimes we think because we fear or we have checks or we wonder sometimes, the, the, here's the deal. Whether you have faith or not is usually whether or not you step forward and actually do something or not. Let's go back to the story of Angus. Do you think Angus had some worrisome nights? I guarantee he probably stayed up late sometimes. And actually in the movie, it does show. It, 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 
portrays his anxiety a little bit. There's some concern. There's some, oh man. <laughs> if, this doesn't, if this doesn't happen, um, I just put God's name at stake. But he, he said, no, God is my provider. God has promised to be my provider. He's promised, and therefore I'll trust him and take action. So he took action, displaying and demonstrating his faith. But I'm not, we're not saying that, oh yeah, Angus's faith, fully confident, no doubt, no problems, no, no wavering whatsoever. No, that's not reality for any of us. Doubting happens. But here's the thing. Do you believe in the God of the impossible? Because Jesus, throughout his whole ministry, is trying to help you and me and his disciples see this. I'll show you one thing. That what you think is impossible is possible with me. What's the first thing he does? He goes and does things like he turns water into wine. Impossible. He tells fig trees to wither up at his command. Impossible. He, hey, you know what? I thought water was for drinking. And he walks on it. When's the last time someone told a storm to stop and it listened? When's the last time someone took three fish, five loaves, and fed thousands and then had baskets left over? Do you see all, when's the last time someone goes up to someone in blind and say, be healed, and they see, they're deaf, be healed, and they hear, they're crippled, they're lame? Hey, when's the last time someone went up to someone dead and then raised them to life again? Do you realize that Jesus' whole ministry was walking in the face and he was doing the impossible, one after another? Impossible, 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 impossible. And he gets here and he shows his disciples, you want to see one more impossible? And he talks to a tree and it withers. That's the God we serve. That's the Jesus that we serve. His word, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter the situation in our lives or what's going on in it. You know, God loves to bring you to the brink of the impossible. He loves to take his people there. And sometimes, you know what we like? We hate that. Because according to my calculations, and when last time I checked the budget, we've got zero. That means... Auto, we're toast. Because that's usually what it means, right? But all that reasoning, all that thinking has excluded one thing. The God who made the system work that way. The God who could say, money, and there is money. You know, just think of trials. And circumstances in our lives. How often do we think God puts us in a situation, we find ourselves, wow, this affliction is more than I could bear. This is impossible. There's no way I could get out of this. There's no way this is going to kill me. You're right. For you, it's impossible. For you, you're right. You're dead on. You're weak. You can't do it. You know, what, you know let's go on and on. You know, you, you're, you're insufficient, right? Your circumstance is more than you can bear, isn't it? Of course it is. And that's right where God wants you. Because it's there. He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to believe Him. He wants you to pray to Him in faith, knowing that, okay, God, I'm waiting for the miracle. I'm waiting for you to do the possible in the midst of the impossible. 
And that pleases him. That delights him. Now, don't think that you can figure out what he's going to do. Don't think that, oh, you know what? Um, Now that I've prayed and I believe, now I start waiting for the clouds on the horizon. Because he just might make it come a totally different way. Like the potatoes all of a sudden showing up. Don't think you can understand his ways. Don't try to calculate. Don't try to think how he's going to answer it. In doing so, you're going to be surprised. Because God is God, and you're not. Now, here's the thing. All of us, if we would start living and walking by faith, you know, do you realize that any person here, you don't have to be strong, you don't have to be powerful, you don't have to be mighty, you don't have to be beautiful, you don't have to be anything, and you could change the world. Do you know that? Angus was a simple farmer, rocking, shaking South Africa. His faith, his act of faith is affecting me thousands of miles away. And through his story now is affecting you. Here's a man having an impact. Why? Was he some great theologian? Did he have some position or power? He had nothing. He was a simple farmer, but he trusted God in the face of the impossible. But that's where we hate to go. I hate it when I'm confronted with a situation that is way more than I can bear because I want to be able to bear it. I hate it when I'm confronted with a circumstance or an affliction that's more than I can handle until I realize I serve a God who could easily handle it. And finally he goes, takes me to these places and crushes me. I cry out to him and turn to him and I find his grace is more than sufficient for me. Well, why wasn't I praying for grace? Why wasn't I praying for God to help me in the midst of it? Instead, I want him to change all the circumstances. Because to me, with my eyes, I can calculate better circumstances, better life. Because that's how the world works, right? If all I did is have a better... If I had more money, a better job, a better spouse, and a better this, whoo, that equals glory. Yeah, if, if that's where you find your life from, those things. But if you serve the God of the impossible, he's going to, a lot of times, he puts you in situations. You don't have the money. You don't have the job. You don't have the house. You don't have the wife. And everything's like, oh, if he would only change this. And what our prayers are? Oh, Lord, change my circumstance. Change my situation. Change, change. God said, no, I want to show up and do great things for you in the midst of it. I need grace. I need strength. Oh, God, change me in the midst of it. Change my heart. I, the, you know what the problem is with my spouse? is me. I'm having troubles loving. It's way more than I can handle. So I go to my God, and I confess my weakness, and I pray in faith, believing that My God has the strength. My God has the love. My God has the joy. My God has the peace. He has everything I need. Everything. I don't. Look at the fruit of the Spirit, right? How many of us are so busy trying to be loving, trying to be joyful, trying to be peaceful, trying to make changes because we find ourselves in circumstances are more than we can handle? That's me. Wait a second. 
God brought me here and he wants me here because he wants, hey, Dean, I want you to learn a lesson. And it might take your whole life, but I'm going to keep on teaching you this. What you need is grace. What you need is my strength. What you need is my joy. What you need is my peace. What you need is from me and found in me and me alone. And that's what God does to his children. Because he wants us, our boasting, our exalting, not to be in ourselves, but to be in him. So when we pray, and we pray in faith, we got to understand what praying in faith means. We've got to understand the God we serve. We've got to understand how much He delights in our confidence in Him to answer. We have to understand that doubting is not the same thing as having fear and questions and wonder, but realizing that it means we still must move forward. If we're going to pray in faith, that's how we need to pray. And God will move figurative mountains in your life. Believe me, He will. He will do great things, and he will change the world through you if you would but trust him and believe him and pray to him and look to him for everything. And he will blow your mind. Amen. Father, we're so grateful and thankful that you are God and we are not. You know our insecurities, you know our weaknesses, you know where we fail. But Father, teach us to come to you in prayer, believing that you are the God who gives all we need. For we ask this in Christ. Amen.